On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Yes's magnification. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter as we consider Yes's orchestral masterpiece, Magnification. Masterpiece, just, right at the beginning. Just right at the beginning. Just put it out there. I'm not sure that it really is a masterpiece, but that's all right. So, gentlemen, welcome to our discussion of Magnification, a truly interesting yes record, which I'm, I'm very keen to discuss. It's a masterpiece by my standards, which simply means that there's one track that I can loop over and over again. Well, Magnification is uh 2001 and the progressive rock timeline on the wikis is still uh raging with prog rock in 2001 raging really raging wow <laughs> well um uh, alongside of uh magnification we have transatlantic with bridge across forever good for those uh Marillion fans who like uh, pete so much um, if you're into the heavy stuff, Mastodon has Life's Blood. Um, Muse is making the chart. So if you're into uh, Muse, they've got the origin of symmetry. Uh, of course, I'm going to say that the really big one is Tools Lateralis. Ooh. Asia has Aura in this year. Oh, uh, I love Aura. Okay, good. And Electric, Electric Light Orchestra is, is credited on here with Zoom. Um uh, of course, uh, near and dear to our hearts, Marillion, 2001, of course, is anarachnophobia. Yeah. Paul, how do you feel about anarachnophobia? <laughs> I think you all know how I feel about anarachnophobia. <laughs> I, so, I, you know, when I flip through the list, although you mentioned some really great stuff there, Ken, I, I'm amazed at the shit that was out and available musically in 2001. Like, if you just go through the rest of... Um, there's just not a lot for me, for my liking. I just, there wasn't a lot of stuff out there in 2001 that I liked. Anarachnophobia was for me quite a disappointment overall. Um, although, you know, over time, you know, I love Marillion. So, you know, disappointment from them is still, is still a fine album. Uh, and I want to say that tools album lateralis, is that how you say it? Lateralis? I've always I, I believe, that. I believe that is. Okay, Lateralis. So that came out in May. I don't think I really got into that that album until later in the summer. Lateralis is like Tool's masterpiece album, isn't it? That that we should do an episode yeah. on that album yeah. and uh, talk about a song that you can loop. You know, just pick any one. I'll just take track one, The Grudge. Um, it's an absolute masterpiece in uh, 
and five four and five eight and it's just wonderful um that was a highlight for me and i don't know if this is the appropriate time to to interject this or not but but for me magnification was a difficult was difficult to get into and here's why i was absolutely blown away i think i mentioned this before by the tour involved with open your eyes i was absolutely loving the band i thought that energy went right into the ladder i loved the ladder and i loved the tour for the ladder i saw it twice and i was just so so high on it and i just loved it and I also had been following Yes, as we've talked about, and each album that I got, each tour, I got into a different album and I expanded my knowledge of the catalog. And when I got to the end of the latter tour, I was ready and primed for what came next, which was, of course, the Masterworks tour. And the Masterworks tour blew me away. And when I left that show... It was the 11th time, I think, that I had seen Yes. Wow. And after watching that show, I had just thought, I don't need to see Yes anymore. I've seen <laughs> all I need. <laughs> and, and, and that's the frame of mind that I had. Like, I had, like, Yes had done everything that I could ever ask for them to do for me. And, and when they turn around and, and take what you would think is like the next, I wouldn't say obvious. It was it was the next creative step by saying, "Hey, let's not work with a keyboard player and let's work with an orchestra instead." I should have been completely excited and just wanted to dive in with a knife and a fork. And instead, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, "That's kind of obvious. That's what everybody's doing these days." And I just wasn't really into it when it came out. And as we listened to it for this exercise. And particularly when I watched the documentary on it and the, the stuff that was happening at the Man Music Center here in Philadelphia, I am so bummed that I missed this when it actually happened and the tour. Because <laughs> I, I think Symphonic, yes, mm -hmm. is sounds fantastic. And all of the videos that I've seen for this tour just are blowing me away. So I'm, I'm really disappointed in myself. Wow. So, and, and, you know, I think that is an, an excellent sort of intro into this and there's a lot to build off of there, but before we get too deep in, let's go through the, the particulars so that we can sort of set the stage and then we can turn loose on this. So as Ken alluded to, Magnification was released in September of 2001. It was released on the labels Eagle and Beyond Music, produced by Yes with Tim Weldner. It features the lineup of John Anderson on lead Widener. vocals. I'm sorry? Like Widener. Widener. Is it Widener? Widener, yeah. It does we look like Widener. Fuck up our lore, Joe. Come on. Let's get it right. <laughs> we were just getting better at this. <laughs> that's, that's just my, uh, me not knowing how to deal with my progressive lenses. <laughs> yeah, see, I've got to do the old man sort of tilt my head thing, and then I can see, oh, yeah, Widener. All right. At least you're not tilting your glasses sideways across your face like this so that you can actually see. <laughs> anyway, it was produced by, yes, and Tim Widener, 
And uh, the lineup for this album is John Anderson on lead vocals, MIDI guitar, acoustic guitar, and backing vocals on Can You Imagine? Steve Howe, acoustic and electric guitars and backing vocals. Chris Squire on bass guitar, lead vocals on Can You Imagine? and backing vocals. And Alan White on drums, percussion, piano, and backing vocals. And the track listing includes the title track, Magnification, Spirit of Survival, Don't Go, Give Love Each Day, Can You Imagine, We Agree, Soft as a Dove, Dream Time, the four-part suite in the presence of, including Deeper, Death of Ego, True Beginner, and Turn Around and Remember, and finishing up with Time is Time. And then if we go to the basic summary... Magnification is the 19th studio album by the English progressive rock band Yes, released on 10 September 2001 by Eagle Records. It is their last album recorded with singer John Anderson in the band, and their only one recorded as a four-piece and without a keyboardist. At the end of their Masterworks tour and the departure of keyboardist Igor Koroshev in 2000, the band agreed to record a new studio album with added orchestral arrangements, something they had also done on their second album, Time and a Word, in 1970. The album was recorded and mixed using Pro Tools with producer Tim Widener and orchestral arrangements by Larry Groupet, who conducted the San Diego Symphony Orchestra. Magnification received mixed reviews from music critics upon release and became one of the band's lowest-selling albums, reaching number 71 on the UK Albums Chart and number 186 on the Billboard 200. Its North American release featured a simultaneous release of CD and DVD audio formats, the latter with a 5.1 surround sound mix, the album was reissued several times from 2001 to 2004, each with a bonus disc containing previously unreleased live tracks. Yes promoted the album with their Yes Symphonic Tour that covered the United States and Europe, which featured the band, touring keyboardist Tom Brislin, and an orchestra on stage. So, you know, Paul, I'm, I'm jealous that I did not get to see the Masterworks Tour and nor did I see Yes Symphonic. So I missed out on both of those opportunities. And I don't even know if I saw the latter tour. And I think we figured out on one of the previous episodes, based on ticket stubs, I saw Yes on the Open Your Eyes tour and have really no recollection of it. It is worth saying the day after this was released, something historic happened. Something very awful. That's true. may have... Colored our taste for music. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, Ken, because during that same time, so one of the things that was happening in 2001, and I remember it because of the events of September 11th, is that we were engaged in our email review of all of the Marillion albums, which, in fact, is was the seed that became uh, the Progressive Palaver podcast. And... Um, I recall that those emails were being sent around in 2001 and were interrupted by the events of September 11th and our reactions to that uh, across emails. Um, there, you know, it's interesting. What I read is that they said that the the album was going to be released on September 11th, um, but then they re they changed the release to December 4th because of the attacks but if it was scheduled to be released that day how could they change it that day i think the wikis 
might need some updating uh, updating there. Hmm. Um, but I do believe that as soon as they released the album, uh, Beyond the Music went out of business. So uh, their label basically died right after the release, which I think hampered their efforts to... Uh, you know, to, prom to promote it. And I do note that they started their tour in July. So the release was September. Their tour was July. So that would explain why the Symphonic Yes tour, uh, you know, people would have been hearing these songs for the first time, as I uh, mentioned by Chris Squire in that um, documentary. Yeah. So, Paul, a quick, uh, quick scroll through the wikis says that Magnification was released on 10 September in the UK. Ah, so the, I'm reading too fast. Yeah, so the original scheduled release, you're right, in North America was September 11th, and that was obviously affected by the 9-11 attacks, and the actual North American release date was for December 2001. Okay. So your information was entirely correct. Okay. So the wikis are correct. I need to slow down when I read, I guess. Well, you know, there, there's a lot to get into. I, You know, this record for me is so interesting because, you know, and, and sort of like what you, what you alluded to, Paul, you know, in a lot of ways, Yes had already done everything maybe that they needed to do. Um, you know, they, they'd had... Uh, just well there's there's just so much to even go through you know they had you know they started out with with doing something no one had done before with the jazz drummer and and chris squire and then you know um rick wakeman comes in and they have that you know that that string through close to the edge and tails and then he goes away and you know patrick moraz comes in and, and my respect for patrick after you know seeing him live is just knows no bounds then rick comes back in and they have another just brilliant reawakening the buggles come in release drama trevor comes in you have 90125 then there was sort of you know the the lost in the woods years a little bit and then you had sort of the you know the introduction of billy and igor with the resurgence of the latter and, and then, you know, apparently they finished it up with the Masterworks tour, which by all accounts, and your account being one of them, was absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, you know, what else, what else did they need to do? They probably didn't need to do anything. And, you know, there's, there's this sort of, I don't, uh, I don't want to call it twisted, but perhaps a, a, tenuous sort of relationship a flirtation between rock music and and orchestras it's always sort of there um i had floated the idea to you guys to you know do a, a bonus episode considering a three different interpretations of of rock music via orchestras because you know i i can remember growing up my dad had an, a a vinyl record of you know some pops orchestra doing the Beatles for crying out loud, and obviously you know Yes had done it on time and a word. Infamously, um, you know Genesis's first record features all sorts of of string arrangements and everything else. So the idea that these guys would come back to something like this 
um, you know, is, no, is it, it, it's I'm, retro. Yeah, it, it, it is. But, yeah. but it, it's interesting because these guys came back to it at a time in their career where they were complete masters of their craft. And, you know, while in, in certain respects, I think the orchestra very clearly, you know, it, it, to, to, to sort of boil it down too much, it, it does take the place of a keyboardist. You know, we don't have, you know, a Rick or an Igor, so we're just going to have an orchestra. Okay. And whatever a keyboard would do, the orchestra will do. But I'm, I'm happy to say that they did a little bit more than that. And, you know, while there's sort of a, you know, a, a quaintness about it, if that's the right word, it, you know, it's it, with the orchestra and, and everything else, and it's not quote-unquote normal, I do think that when you, you consider the way bands might do this, I think Yes did a very, very good job of integrating the orchestra in with the band, so to speak. And I found myself really, really enjoying exploring the interplay between Steve and the orchestra or the rhythm section and the orchestra. And so, you know, overall, I think this was a, a, an outstanding, you know, uh, output from this type of an experiment. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic point, Joe, because while I think many bands were employing the use of orchestras at this point in time for like, you know, big TV events, you know, even Metallica, I think, was using an orchestra for some some of their, uh, you know, special concerts or whatever on TV. I, I think the approach that they took here with this was they, they brought this, this, um, Arranger and uh, and and uh, uh, producer Larry Groupe. Groupe, Larry. Groupe. Groupe. He, he was brought in not as a, okay. Here's a song we'd like you to arrange a string arrangement for. It. We'd like you to put an orchestra behind it, a la, for lack of a better example, Silent Lucidity. Right. Here's a song right. we're going to put an orchestra behind it, but you know you could do it without the orchestra if you wanted to. They really tried to make like you almost can't imagine these songs being played without an orchestra, right? Um, they really are part of the song. They're part. I think they were part of the songwriting. I think that was the approach that they took. And you know, particularly for a couple of my favorite tracks on here, I I think it works works brilliantly. And it it isn't like an extra added thing. It is a solid, continuous part of the band. I think there are a couple of points where maybe it was a little heavy-handed in in the way they used the orchestra, but but overall, I'm I'm very very satisfied if that's the right word with with yeah. the output here. Chris, on the on the um, so I watched the documentary on this, which I'll put on the show notes. It was just really interesting to watch. John Anderson's vocals on this album are tremendous, tremendous. Yeah, I think, you know, John has had in the in the past few albums and, and sort of throughout his career, you know, I've I've sort of made comment about, you know, John singing too many syllables or, or whatnot. And and here I think he really strikes a really good balance between <laughs> Actually you said John's yelling at me. <laughs> 
as as I recall in some of those songs, he was yelling at me. Yeah, he does. I don't like yeah. it when people yell at me. Uh, but I think here he does a really, really excellent job of balancing out, creating a vocal melody. And, you know, his his vocal, his lyrics are a bit less obtuse, maybe, than we're used to hearing. But, uh, but still very, very, you know, I, I, I don't... I have a clear idea of what he's talking about. I don't know that I have a full idea of what he's talking about. But it, it does, you know, here again, John seems to use the syllables as just an, another instrument, and it works for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Paul, because I, I agree 100%. Yeah. Well, he was um, on the – based on the interview contributions he made on that, he was still pretty much hitting the golden dusts of moths pipe. Oh, was he? Hard. Yeah, he was pretty out there in the interview. Some of his comments. <laughs> but, well, I, uh, you know, the, the first thirteen minutes of this album, I think, are just spectacular magnification into spirit and survival. I love the transition between the two songs, and um, again the the live version that's floating around from the tour on youtube from magnification is, is just stellar i mean these guys are right on and i and i love how you know steve howe and chris squire maintain all of their style and all of their influence onto the music even as they're as they're working these songs to to create you know create it with an orchestra i love how it's so honestly them um, and it it works pretty it works pretty well. So the the best thing about doing this podcast is that it sort of forces you to take a closer look at some of these albums that you've been listening to for a really really long time. In this case, you know maybe fifteen years, and you think you know what the album is, but you know by doing this, maybe you know at least the the way I approach this, you know I. I I try to sit down and not do anything, put on some headphones or maybe put it on, you know, one of my stereos and, and crank it up a little bit and, and be able to sort of explore the music and, and pay more attention and maybe find some things that I didn't notice before. And that was the case I had with this album um, where, you know, one of the things that surprised me and I never really picked up on it before, but it, it was, it's sort of like what I talked about earlier with this, the space that Chris Allen and Steve have to play in and, and how they sort of fill that in with the orchestra, it, but they do it in such a way that it, it doesn't seem, you know, completely disjointed. It, it's, it's, I, I was amazed as I sort of picked up on that. Oh, Steve is basically solo. He's, he's almost got the whole left side to himself. Right. Yeah. Like, like, there is no doubt. You hear every note that Steve plays. And, you know, I, since I've become such a, a Steve Howe, you know, apologist, I've actually, I love that. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think that's the way that Steve Howe likes it the best, when he just gets the left side <laughs> of the ear. <laughs> himself. He seems to produce his best work. Yes. <laughs> so, so while we're talking about Steve, I, maybe this is this is the appropriate time to get into the tracks because magnification, uh, you know, 
I think it's it's a just a spectacular song. Again, it sort of it sets the stage with what does Yes with an Orchestra sound like? I think the way that the orchestral arrangements you know weave in and out is spectacular. I think it's very very well used. But as the reason I bring this up now is as we're talking about Steve Howe, something happens in the first part of this song, and I have it marked down at 158, and it's just after the line, knowing it can really be, and Steve Howe breaks out the most abrasive guitar tone we have heard <laughs> since Relayer. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty abrasive it, it yeah. is it is absolutely jarring and i would love to have been a fly in the wall when they laid this down and someone goes steve that is awesome <laughs> <laughs> because you know as much as i love steve howe and everything else I, I i i don't know what to make of that guitar sound it is it it, it rattles my teeth I mean, you guys, think, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I, I do know what you're talking about, and I think that's one of the things I like about the symphon the symphonic live version of it. Oh, really? It, it, is that I I feel like the the guitar tone is um is a little bit more natural, a little bit more toned down, it, it, and um I think it, I think it works better in in the song. But I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I just I. When I was when I was preparing my notes for this, I was just like, "Oh, we got to talk about that." <laughs> well, I mean, we had spent so much time talking about Steve's tone through the through the seventies and and everything else that it was just you know. And by all accounts, he had yeah. I don't want to use the phrase "gotten better," but you know, it was he didn't have those moments. And then just to do such a complete left hand turn, and you know, for I mean, what's it last five seconds? And he does it twice in the song and that's it it's just it's the strangest thing i think by now in his career this is his sort of litmus test with the producers that he's working with <laughs> he's like i'm gonna whip this tone out and see if if tim widener tells me yo dude tone that down a little bit <laughs> and if he doesn't then he kind of knows where where he stands with the producer well i, I <laughs> I want to say I read that that Steve brought Tim Widener in. Tim, I guess, had worked on Steve's Turbulence album. So oh, I, I think you're right. Yes. I, I, I guess they they had, you know Steve had already uh, you know worked out that particular part of the relationship. I have to say I don't know how you only credit the songwriting to Anderson, Howe, Squire, and White, and how they don't include Groupe in that. I, I agree. It's a, it's kind of amazing, given given the way that you know it, it. Those orchestral arrangements are such an integral part of the yeah. uh, of the songs. Yeah, and it's well documented. It's not like uh, John and Steve were, you know, scribbling out the charts <laughs> for everybody. But I think you know, magnification really. Like I said, it, I think it sets the stage perfectly for for what we're we're looking at here, and you know I'm a I'm a I'm a huge fan. I, I was the first time I heard it. I remember getting this album. And I was like, all right, yeah, this is very cool. I um I agree with you. I like I think the first couple of listens, I was a little taken aback by by the the signature changes where it's like a six eight sort of feel, like a shuffle feel. 
and then it comes more to a straight beat and they kind of go back and forth. Um, but in the long haul, I appreciate that greatly, particularly on how the, um, the orchestra sort of complements the shuffle part quite nicely. So, um, uh, I think you're right. I love the bombastic ending with everything kind of going nuts. Yeah. And then how it really transitions into track two. Even though uh, my, I do have a note here that says the end is needlessly noisy. So, <laughs> so maybe, maybe the bombast doesn't always sit well with me, but, uh, mm. I could see that for sure. I think it's, it, it's, it's part of, I don't know. For me, it's, it's part of, it's almost sort of that cacophony at the beginning of every orchestra, orchestra right. performance where they're tuning and it's sort of reminiscent of that. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. And I, you know, don't get me wrong. I, you know, it's, it's right. okay. It's mild, mild salsa versus uh, spicy salsa. Jim. There you go. I swear that that magnification would blend perfectly with with this one melody on ritual um, or <laughs> on, on on tails. It's killing. Me. What is that at the end of the chorus? It feels like it's going to launch into. Ah, oh, there you go. Right, right, right. What is that? What is that? Yeah, yeah. That's um. That's it's on tails. It's it is some, something beautiful, but but yeah, I just I'm I'm every time I hear those little flutes and piccolos, a little woodwind ah. section, I'm like, yes, we're gonna hear or orchestral tails now. <laughs> <laughs> I had something semi snarky to say about Spirit of Survival, and I, I feel kind of bad saying it, but okay, there, there's plenty of room for snarkiness on magnification. I think have at it. So Spirit of Survival is like. What would have happened if ABWH had gone in a good direction? Hmm. I know, can, I'm okay with that statement. You know, there, there's a, there's a, a feel to it that that seems reminiscent to me of the ABWH portions of Union. But I like this song, so yeah. so you know, it Spirit of Survival. Yes. I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. No. I, I, I totally agree with you. So for me, I'm hooked at the beginning of this song. They can almost do whatever they want because when John starts singing and then the 12 string comes in, to me, it's it's sort of an announcement that, hey, this isn't just some gimmicky kind of thing we're doing here. Uh, we're in it to win it. And um, and then, but you're right. The way that the, the, the it kind of goes into the, there's like a bass line, a guitar line that's doubled. It's very reminiscent, I agree, of the ABWH kind of, of stuff. It sounds very much like a leftover Steve Howe riff from uh, from that that era. Right. And, and you know, it's interesting that you've got um, the Tim Widener collection or connection here. Because, again, you know, there were at least, I believe it was three songs on the from the Union cuts of ABWH that – actually wound up on turbulence. So, right. you know, the, 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 which is, the, which Steve Howe has done in the past. Right. He's taking, he's completely lifted parts of songs with other bands. Right. And put them into yes songs, like in Starship Trooper at the end of that. Yeah. Worm. Sure. Yeah. Or, um, the, uh, the track on Asia's first record, that was what machine Messiah. Machine Messiah. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. You know, but but here again, I really really like this song. The song is very aggressive. I 
and I like, um, you know, I love I love the intro here before it it really gets into it. There is another painful guitar tone on here. I have it listed at three twenty three. I don't remember right off the top of my head what that is. It's not quite the same as in magnification, but you know, no, there you go. It's like. Uh, I think it's just his guitar solo, and I think at this point in time, like we said, he's already knowing that the producer's not going to stop him. <laughs> so he's just like, Fuck, "Yes, it, I'm it, just gonna, I'm just gonna play like it's back in 1974, and I'm recording Sound Chaser. Let's do it." Yeah, or you're was it 73, whatever. You're, I don't know. You're you're absolutely right. It is it is the uh, the solo, and and it is a weird weird tone. It is, but we probably know that Paul Northfield and Alex Lifeson were getting a kick out of it when they listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I love, I, I love in here. You know, there are a couple of instances where you have sort of the uh, the orchestra is used as an instrument, and you know, the ability of the orchestra to sort of have this huge crescendo, I think, is used very, very well in this in this track as well. And this is sort of, you know, the first time it's the second track on the album, but it's it's sort of the the first time where you you get a an indication of how well the yes chorus works in this environment as well. Mm. You know, so I think traditionally in the past, it was everyone focused on, you know, Chris and John and, and their interplay. And I think Steve was always sort of the forgotten man in all of this. Ken, you've sort of opened my eyes to some of this. And, you know, honestly, as goofy as it sounds, Steve having that, that song that he sings on Fly From Here Return Trip, I, I'm able to sort of pick out Steve's voice now. I know what Steve sounds like. And I think in this particular case, it's the blending of the three voices that that seems more prevalent, maybe than just the the John Chris blending. Great. I mean, that goes all the way back to close to the edge and elsewhere. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it's your move. I mean, all over the place. Yeah. From Spirit or Survival, which is you know in some ways a a spiritual return to ABWH. We move on to Don't Go, which is in some ways a spiritual return of to open your eyes. So, Paul, in when, some ways, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Paul, when you would when you would invoke to open your eyes in the opener here, I was like, yeah, I've already got that in my notes. We're we're already there. So, yeah, it's it's funny that you've got you know here again you've got these two tracks right after each other that are reminiscent of earlier parts of the career slash catalog. And yet, I love both of these songs. I don't know if I can say I love this song. You know, in, in regards to Steve Howe's guitar tone, the, the main melody, the, the, it, it just it sounds like it came from the Wiggles. Right? It's, just a, <laughs> it's just a clean and it's, it's not even spanky. It's just, it's like, it's wink, 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 wink. It's just kind of not pleasant for me. In a in a in a in a different way than than what we've described already, so and 
you know, listen, I, again, like I, I'll probably come back another time and, and, and apologize, but I, sometimes I just don't have a threshold for that kind of stuff. And when that stuff hits me in the first 30 seconds of the song, it's really hard sometimes for me to, to get by it. So, you know, this song does remind me of open your eyes and, and, and the parts about open your eyes that I may not like as much as others. So, so this one's kind of a miss for me, um, on, on the record. Interesting. You know, I see, I, I view it as it reminds me of open your eyes, but again, I like it more than virtually anything on open your eyes with, except maybe the, the title track. I was wondering, Joe, how you feel about lyrics on this album. Um, you know, you made peace with the ambiguity of, uh, John's lyrics early on. And when he gets too specific, he tends to lose us or hit us over the head. Uh, you know, how about here? You know, I, I, I think I like these lyrics because they're, I, I view them as somewhere in between. Uh, you know, I, I, I have a, a sort of clear idea of what John's singing about, but I don't have a hundred percent idea of what John's singing about. The one, the one instance where um, I do which is soft as a dove, I think is actually one of the more beautiful lyrics I've heard. So yeah, I mean, mm. I, I'm, I'm okay with it. For the bulk of this album, he's in that safe zone where he's giving us something tangible, but, but, but leaving lots of room. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Now I, I, I will say Paul sort of, you know, along your lines, and I don't know if this was one of the things that, that maybe you were were thinking of, there is there is that sort of break um, at about two forty in the song, which is not very good. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It I, I have in my notes that it's it's not very good, but still better than Tikwa. It's not Tikwa esque, but it reminds <laughs> me of that a little bit. And it, and it's just like you know this was maybe this was maybe the one place where the the use of the orchestra sort of went off the rails, but the whole song is off the rails at that point. So it's like, you know, yeah. And I, I think he's got some funky, like phone phone effect on his voice. Or yes. Like uh-huh. And, and the, and the, the yeah. crazy backing vocals and, Oh, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's like, not really great. It's, yeah. It's, there's so much good on this record. Like I just don't want to, I don't, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll just skip over this one. Um, sorry. You know, but yeah, yeah, it, it is a little, it is a little, <laughs> I actually think I prefer Teak Bois because oh, God. Um, you know, it's got my favorite line in it. So, you know. Well, I'm, I'm glad you've got something in Teak Bois that, uh, that, that works for you, Paul, because I've, you know, I, uh, we've already talked about that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think that the middle of this gets a little I don't know West Side Story or something. There's a little yeah. theatrical element here that he's trying to pull out of us, and it, it's not what we're used to hearing from. Yes, it's it's out of context. I, I do have though that the you know despite what I said in the last song about the three voices together, John and Chris do sound spectacular here together vocally. Yeah, they're crushing the vocals on Magnification. There's no doubt about it. It's it, it it's one of those things where, and this is throughout the yes's history. No matter what they do, they they're they're 
you know, like Bill Bruford said at the beginning, he's like, you know, they were going to be a vocal band and I was going to play jazz drums. Like whatever they've done, the, the vocals have been a centerpiece. And I just think they just really nailed it well on this um uh, on this maybe maybe they were cutting them without before they had the orchestra and they didn't have to worry about the keyboards being in the way i don't know but yeah whatever it was there's something there's some kind of special sauce here i would say even compared to you know what we were hearing on the ladder and i thought the backing vocals were tremendous in the ladder too but yeah there's something special going on here and then we uh we move on to uh give love each day now one of the notes that I have here is that the orchestral introduction here is completely superfluous. Yeah. Uh, you know, I it, did think that. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, we talked before maybe about the, uh, you know, I, I, the, the flow from magnification into spirit of survival. And I think it, to me, this introduction feels like a bolt on, you know, I, I mean, it just, you know, it, it just seems, it, it doesn't seem integrated into the overall song structure like most of the rest of the orchestration does in this record. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because, you know, I guess my thought is that, you know, you're doing an album with an orchestra. You know, you, you kind of give them a pass for like a two minute introduction that features the orchestra, at least on one song. right? Sure. And um, it, it is a little bit dramatic, like, you know, kind of feel like if during parts of it, you know, like I'm walking down the sidewalks of Epcot Center, um, <laughs> things like that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the other thing about this song is like, I, I, I it, it feels kind of linear to me. And, you know, like you're describing, Joe, and, and there's a part in the first half of it where really it's almost like the song stops for the keyboards to kind of take over again. You know, when one of the keyboard was in the band, like the drums and bass might drop out and the keyboard might interlude you into the next part of the song. You know, this is where you really hear the orchestra doing that. And um, and I and I find it terrific. And um, and I agree with you again, you know, the the octave. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So ABWH version of Union right there. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm totally digging it, totally digging it. And now we're here. The melody is what makes a song. And every time I hear your voice, the way it scoops and it's low and, and they lead it up to the next section, it's just brilliant. And you don't hear so much of this song architecture from John. It, it, it had to be something with a collaborative process where, where he got into these spaces. And it's just a perfect place for him to be. You know, and, and Paul, you had also mentioned something about this song, and, and I had meant to to bring it up, so I'm glad you reminded me about all of these songs. This album in general is, you know, it it this, the songs are very linear in structure. There is not a lot of you know classic, you know, rock or pop song structure of verse chorus verse chorus type thing going on here. It's you know, they're going wherever the music takes them. And it's it's very different in that way, which is, you know, very cool and, and in some ways very Yesian. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, and I love, you know, it just, it's a, it's a cool message with the song. And there, it, there is, there's a little bit of darkness to the music, but then it ends in, in you know, kind of a, 
you know, resolves to a, you know, a happier place, if you will, you know, kind of has that a little bit of, um, what do you call that, Ken? Uh, oh, soundtrack dissonance. Thank yes, you, yes, yes. There's a little soundtrack. bit of soundtrack dissonance in there. Maybe, I don't know. Um, no, no, no. I see, I see what you're saying. I mean, that, that opening bass line is foreboding and some of the orchestral arrangements leads you to that. But ultimately, yeah. John will take us to a happy place. Yeah, it resolves to a more into a more happy, happier uh, place. I like it. Well, and, and, you know, Ken, you were asking earlier about, you know, my impression of John's lyrics here. I actually have noted down one of John's lyrics in this song. And it, it, I believe it comes near the end, you know, where he sings, Every time I hold your hand, you redesign my promised land. I live for you, this promised land, I live for you. There's something about that line and the way he delivers it that just slays me every time I hear it. Good. Good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, nice, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you summed up where this takes me. Cool. And then we get the beauty of Can You Imagine? Um, I, I was amazed. I, as I've been listening to this album for, you know, what is it now? You know, 17 years, whatever the case may be. Honestly, I didn't realize how short Can You Imagine is. I know. I, right. I never right. knew until I was putting the notes together. And I'm like, this is only 236 or whatever it is. It feels um, like it's a it's a five minute joyride, right? This is my loop song, so I, I tell you, it's good <laughs> for right. a half hour. <laughs> it's you're so right, Joe. When when this song came on the first go round for me, this you know listening to it for this. I was like, I lit up. I was like, oh, I remember this song. Oh, this is so great. And then the next thing I know, it was over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, you want to... You you sort of want to revel in the fact that, you know, Chris is singing lead. And and it's always a special thing when Chris does that. Um, You know, it hasn't always worked out spectacularly. I... I can't remember which one of the uh, the nine hundred one two five tracks showed up on Yes Years with with Chris singing um, lead vocals before yeah. before John took over. Um, you know, it, but but whatever. You know, and, and Chris's voice is is great, but it's you know I don't maybe it's just because we're not used to it. It's not really a I don't consider it a lead voice. You know, it's it's the special sauce. But yes. But in in this particular, there's something about this song where the special sauce is off the charts good. And there's another part here because, and, and I don't know that I've paid attention to this in other you know songs or parts of songs where, where maybe Chris is singing the lead, but John Anderson is very clearly a, a background singer here. And yeah. it's so, you know, having that sort of inversion of John and Chris in its entirety works so well. Sure. Yeah, I, it's such a great call out, Joe, because, you know, one of my favorite songs, Onward, uh, Chris Squire wrote it. And John Anderson sings the first verse, but then Chris Squire sings the second verse. And he basically sings the 
the the lead part, right? It's basically a Chris Squire vocal, right? And John Anderson is adding backing vocals, and he does it throughout so much of Yes that you just start to get used to the fact that sometimes Chris Squire is singing the the lead part, but it's really the harmony because John Anderson's you know hitting the stratosphere, and it sounds magnificent. And this is like a conscious choice that they make to just have Chris sing the lead and John is singing backing vocals. And I cannot agree with you anymore. It is wonderful. And when he sings that, um, can you believe it? It's just like when he, he goes into the falsetto. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just like the control and the, it is so wonderful. It just gives me chills just talking about it. I love it. And the other thing about this talk about, lyrics that sort of suggest huge vistas or, or, you know, deep waters or whatever the case may be, you know, and, and there's something about, you know, this song that it, it, I've overused the word haunting, but this, these, Mm -hmm. these words get in my head and I feel like, you know, it, it points to, questions that would be unsettling and I don't want to ask, but Mm. it points me there anyway. And it it makes me a little uncomfortable, but at the same time, the song is so beautiful. It's, it's okay. You know, to that point, when Chris Squire sings to me, you might need a guide. Yes. I'm, I'm okay with getting a guide. (laughs) 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 Oh, Is that a one-time fee or subscription? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. After Can You Imagine, we have We Agree. I believe we've mentioned this before, and it's, you know, there there are certain aspects of my own personality that just amuse me. And one of those are the, the three sort of orchestral instrument triggers that if they show up, well, I guess one of them is not really orchestral, but if they show up in in rock music, it just you know gives me giggles. Yeah. Those three are orchestra chimes, <laughs> muted trumpets, <laughs> yeah, and oboes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so here we start out with we agree, and we have the oboe coming down from heaven and Joe's just like, all right, I'm on board. Absolutely fantastic. And if, if that was all this song had to offer, that would be great. But this song we agree is a prime example of what I was talking about earlier about, you know, how you discover new things when you sit down and really try to pay attention to these. And, I hadn't realized this before, but all of the sudden, you know, and, and literally this just happened like two days ago, I was paying attention and I'm like, all right, Steve Howe is redefining the world on this. And and to, to sort of cut through the chase, so Steve Howe starts out as sort of a jazzy, noodly Steve Howe. The chorus comes in and he goes into country Steve Howe. And then we get acoustic strumming Steve Howe, 
We've got this weird phased whatever thing. And, and so throughout this, you end up with like five or six different Steve Howes in the same freaking song. It's like, fucking hey, Bubba, right. <laughs> How we originally wanted it. <laughs> first hired. Right. <laughs> you know, I it just, it was amazing. And I, I made the comment in my last Asia episode that, you know, when, when Steve Howe does a solo record, right, he has the chart where he tells you exactly what guitar he plays on every track, and it's spectacular. I, I honestly wish he would do that for Yes Album so I know what he's doing. But, I, you know, it was just one of those things where I hadn't ever really caught on or paid attention to this. And so when I stumbled upon this here, I was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. No, I'm sorry, Joe. I, 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 I'm literally lost in the lyrics. I mean, it's a deep tune, and it's taking me there, and I buy it. He, he delivers on this. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I appreciate what you're saying here, Joe. I may have to go back and give this one a little bit more of, um, of a listen. Uh, you know, I'm guilty here of being so enamored by the songs. Can you imagine? And in the presence of that I sometimes don't have the patience to um, wait to go from one to the other. So, um, so yeah, so I, I have to go back and, um, and, and give this a little bit more, uh, I think a little bit more attention, you know? Yeah. I, you know, like I said, it just, it, it, what, what really, how I stumbled upon this as I was listening to it was when that chorus comes in and, and Steve goes all country. So, you, you know, there's, there's a bit of incongruity with a, what I'll call a standard orchestra with this sort of country sound. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, they're cowboy crazy. We know this. Bill Bruford told us this. And, and that sort of got me pay attention to, well, what, did he, what does he do after that? And then it's like something different. It's like he never goes back to what he did before. It's his Steve Howe's playing and his, his sounds are as linear as the song structures themselves at this point. And it, it was just, it fascinated me. Yeah, it sounds like uh, his telly to me when he when he does that little uh, single note uh, teaser. Uh -huh. um, that that must be what you're picking up on. It's a descending lick. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's it's absolutely beautiful. So so Ken, you made mention of the lyrics here. You know, is there, you know, what what about these lyrics are sort of resonating with you at this moment? Um, John is laying down the gauntlet, gauntlet without yelling at me. So uh, he will come at us with spirituality. He'll come at us with community. He'll come at us with love. And sometimes it's uh, a, a condiment that we can take it or leave it. But this is this is the the, the meal here. You know, if we are one, then we are refugees. We are the prisoners of our own design. If we are one, seen through the eyes of a child, we will perpetuate this song of love. And he repeats it, and it, it's sustaining to me. There's sustenance. You see, you hear Chris coming in with his um, kind of contrapuntal uh, backing vocals. It adds gorgeous texture to it. And and I I I, I can't 
ignore it. I just can't say, oh, that's the fluffy John Anderson stuff on top of my rock music. That is the song. Right. Especially, especially in the orchestral context. You can't just, you know, bass and drum your way out of this one. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's almost acapella in parts. This is what you're here for. Yeah, you're right. It is, it is almost acapella in points, even though obviously there's a whole lot going on around him at that point. But yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from there. That's great. Yeah, I love this one. This, this, is, this is John at his best. You know, and it's one of those things where, you know, we know that, that John has, uh, you know, messages. He's, he's got an, an agenda, if you will. And he can sometimes be very aggressive in that agenda. And sometimes he, you know, the, the, the message just misses the mark for whatever reason. But it's never it's never really bad, you, you know. Even at his worst, you're kind of like, oh yeah, John, he's he's happy, you know. Mm-hmm. Except for his angry phase. But but when you know when it comes together and the message lands on point, it can be very very powerful, which is is very cool. Yeah, he has a couple real real biting lines in here. Um, thousands to the million sisters, grandmothers, and more. It's not the feast we throw away. It's the way we close the door. Like, really putting it out there. Okay, people, you know. Yeah. Own this. This is who you are. This is our society. So from, from there, we, we take a step back and move on into Soft as a Dove, which I had mentioned previously. Um, you know, there, there are certain aspects and if I hadn't had kids, this song would not resonate with me at all. But there are certain times when, be it in, in song or a movie or a book or whatever, if if something sort of resonates with with the chord of parenting as I interpret it, you know, I can't help but react to that. And this is this is one of those songs, you know, because he it, it it's you know it's it's soft it's gentle you know you've got um you know you've got steve and you've got the flute and it's beautiful but you know john is describing you know the 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 journey that parents go through or at least parents should go through where you know Sometimes you have to let the kid cry and your ultimate goal is to train this, this, this child to grow up to be their own person and to, to fly away, which it sounds like a, a, a trite cliche when I say it that way, but the way that it comes across in this just, it, it, it hits me very close to home. And, um, yeah, so I just, I dig this. Hmm. Beautiful Joe. That was beautiful Joe. Mm. Your kids are lucky. <laughs> Blessed. <laughs> so my kids are fucked because I always skip this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see what happens when you skip tracks, Paul. Nothing good can come of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's um 
there, there's a track on Open Your Eyes that I think starts out like this, something about the standing at the window or something like that. And um, like five seconds into the song, that's what the song reminds me of, and I just skip it right away. Well, and, and that's the funny thing about this, Paul, because, you know, it, I don't know that, you know, five or ten years ago, I would have reacted that way to this song. Uh, I really don't. And, you know, I've sort of, there are aspects of it that I wouldn't say are my favorite, musically speaking, but in, in this is one of those cases where the message so overwhelms me that I, I find things to like about it, if you will. Yeah, I think it's an important lesson because, you know, we just talked about earlier how after years of, of just not enjoying the song sound chaser and you know getting criticized for it in some in some circles not this one certainly but in some and you know after all of these years seeing patrick Mraz play seeing some videos that were that were posted on twitter and and all of a sudden having a different kind of connection to that song yeah and and the parts of it and all of a sudden i'm interested to go back and listen to to sound chaser with a, a different a different mindset and uh, it happens a lot with some of these and it's happened it, it's one of the my favorite parts about about this uh podcast and and talking through all of this stuff with you guys is that you know there were almost entire marillion albums that i just had just glossed over and um after listening to you guys talk about them i just was like wow and i it, I, I listened to them in different different ways so um, this album has spent enough time sort of in the dustbin for me, um, and I've enjoyed getting into it so much that even these songs that I'm still not quite 100% behind, I am. Uh, I'm going to take that lesson and uh, and 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 you know check them out again and 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 do it because it. One thing that I always come back to is it pretty much doesn't matter how much I think I don't like something, you know when I when I particularly with yes. Uh, you know, once I kind of have the different point of view, uh, I almost always not just like it, but love it. Yeah. I, I keep hoping for that moment for me with Tormato. It hasn't come yet, but <laughs> I keep hoping. There's time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and, you know, talk about transitions. I think the, the transition from soft as as a dove into dream time is one of the better ones. Uh, I think it just, you know, it, it, it flows pretty well. I think in a lot of ways, this album was, was tracked out pretty, pretty well. And, you know, I think the uh, dream time is just one of those, those songs that, you know, I just, it's, it's hard not to like, I think, I think it just, I think it rocks. I think it's got a great opening. Um, I think there's, you know, there's, there's this perfect point counterpoint between Steve and, and the violin and back to Steve, um, yeah. as they're sort of setting this thing up that is, you know, it's very cool and it's a little bit different than, you know, Steve with, with, a, a keyboardist, obviously, you know, there's, there's something about that violin specifically and, and the way they, they structured that, that I just, I really kind of was into i love the the ominous orchestral part and you know here you know can you talk about alan white being 
being animal on the symbols. I think he's he's very busy in this track, but in a very good way. Uh, this was one track where Alan sort of leapt out at me and said, hey, there's still a drummer in the band here. And I really kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, I think the, the opening two minutes are probably my favorite part of it. You know, the the the, the main riff is a little... I don't know what it reminds me of. Um, I don't know if it's a if it's like the ABWH thing again coming through or not. Um, you know, I think it's like two minutes and thirty seconds in is about where you know where the band like really kicks in. You know, and Alan's doing his thing, but the do 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 like something about that riff that just always kind of feels you know sticks at me wrong, and. Um, so it's derivative. It's not necessarily standing on its own. I kind of feel like it is, Ken. Great way to way to save me there. Yes, thank you. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm grateful at the restraint in the beginning of this. Um, you know, you take Steve Howe, you give him nylon string guitar, you put him in front of an orchestra. He could be there for 20 minutes before getting to the meat of the song. <laughs> So I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it's well crafted. I, I think they they, they they build suspense and they they get to the point, and they I think they manage this very well here. So from there we move on to the in the presence of with the the four parts. I, you know this this is uh, this is a song that I've I personally have kind of struggled to make some not sense of, but sort of get some clarity out of with regards to this. Um, there are there are aspects of it that I really, really like. There are aspects of it that leave me perhaps wanting a little bit more. Um, you know, I, 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 I think I like it, but I don't know that I've got, you know, any one of my strong moving, you know, treatises to, uh, to, to give on it about this but but paul i have the impression that maybe you might have more to say about in the presence of well first of all i want to say i find it interesting that in an in an on a yes album where they purposely did not work with a keyboardist two of my favorite tracks are very keyboard heavy particularly <laughs> at, the, at the beginning yeah um so there's something about uh, there's just something about the the melody of this of this that just sticks with me, and it just it, you know I listen to it on the way to work, and it just will be with me for the rest of the day, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try to get rid of it. I could sit at my desk and listen to Iron Maiden for a half an hour, and, then get up <laughs> and uh, walk to a meeting, and I'll be humming this melody. <laughs> so, so for whatever reason, it just really is, has a strong connection with me. And, and I also, um, and, and I will say that I, I don't think I was really into this song until, um, until going through this exercise. I don't really think I even really thought much about it. Um, but there's a version of it on Symphonic that I think is spectacular. And the video uh, that's, a, you know, that's of, the, of the concert is um is terrific and uh, again it's it's for me it's really just that melody and then the interplay with the vocals and um and uh and the guitar uh 
So, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, you know, similar to dream time, right. It's just 10 minutes of, of, um, of just really good stuff. And, um, and for me, the one that the reason this really just kind of takes it home is, is again, just because the melody is such a strong, strong connection with me. So I'm, I'm going to say something and it's, it's a question. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that it's a one-to-one comparison. I'm not putting them on the same plane or anything else. And I'm not saying it's the whole song. But as I was I was I was going through this over the last couple of days, there were there's a there's a section somewhere in the last half of this. So I don't know if it's in Death of Ego or um, you know, whatever the other parts are. But there's like maybe a, a 20, 30 second section where I get like a whiff of Awaken. Not much, but I get a whiff of it. Am I totally out, out of left field here? I don't think so. I, I don't know that I've ever drawn that that uh, same parallel. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, but uh, and and I haven't been able to to pin it down exactly where it is or what it is. But there's yeah, there's, Joseph, you've got your harp and your chimes. Does that help? Is that is that uh, maybe? Would, would, okay. You know, I, I and, and yeah, maybe maybe that's all it is. But there, it's just my ears kind of perk perk up a little bit, and I'm like, what? Huh? What? And then it's it's gone almost as as quickly as it's there. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I yeah I can I I could buy that. I feel like there's some sort of like spiritual uplifting part, you know, in there as well that that makes me um rem- reminiscent of the same kind of feeling, but um Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're off the, off the mark at all. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's not an awaken, but you know, there's there's some aspects that kind of got blended into the melange that is in the presence of here. Oh, it is a slow three. We can go there. Okay. Um, in, in the end here, which is, you know, I, I mentioned in the SCS Special Concert Series 9, seeing Waken Live was so wonderful because I got my slow three. Yes, yes, and, you did. And, and this is this is in that realm in the middle i don't know which movement it is but in the presence here it's it's yeah it's it, it's beautiful it's holding me it, it's it, it's like being suspended kind of like a timeless feeling is that does that resonate with you yeah i, I can see that that absolutely yeah okay and and, and for the chemist in you we're, we're we're in a colloid solution okay <laughs> Very nice, Ken. Well, well done. I'm impressed. <laughs> That's what three does to me. It kind of it kind of jams me up in this neat place to be. So, yeah, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think this is, yeah, it, it's it's a good track. I think it it sort of again illustrates, you know, how to utilize. Or maybe not how to utilize an orchestra in a rock band, but I think it's a it's a good example of how to do it and how to do it, you know, with you can sort of leverage off the capabilities of the orchestra without you know maybe being a little too ostentatious as um, you know I 
I accuse them of being with the intro to give love each day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet this song could have been an opener and then they just blew away, blew off the doors on like magnification and a couple of the others. Uh, I'll call this a sleeper. You know, every once in a while we get an album, I say, Oh, this song's a sleeper. And this is probably it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was for me. It was for me. You know, and, so if that's the case, though, Ken, you know, when you talk about tracking an album, um, generally speaking, you know, you want to, you know, open strong, you like to end strong, or sometimes John likes to end on sort of a, a quiet note. I think this song probably should have ended the album because I'm not 100% certain what time is time has to do with anything. So, you know, in the documentary... In John's spaciness, he talked about, you know, they're all talking about recording. And, and I, one of the great things about, they're, they're, I mean, there's just absolutely no creative pretense going on here, I think. Okay. They're writing 10 minute songs, they're writing three minute songs, right? They're just writing songs. And, um, and, uh, and I love it. With, with Time is Time, John Anderson said in this documentary that, you know, he said that was a, you know, they were in a great creative place. And he said, in fact, one song we wrote in, in a couple of hours. And he said, yeah, I came in and I, I played it and sang it. And then we overdubbed it. And, you know, by the end of the afternoon, it was done. And that happens to be Time is Time. And I think if you listen to Time is Time, <laughs> it sounds like they recorded it in a couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of tacked it on to the end. You know, and, and is that is that admirable in in the fact that they have the conviction with this song that you know maybe it's not perfect, but there's enough there that they want to put it on the album anyway. And if that's the case, where do you put it? You tack it onto the end. You know, do you do you admire that, or do you do you sort of say, you know, guys, edit yourself a little bit here? Yeah, I, I it would have been really interesting to. Um to understand what drove the decision because you know you know to your point joe by this time in the album an extra two minutes you know is not really going to get you anything you know uh maybe they just wanted to have 10 tracks i don't know it's um it's uh it's certainly for me it's it's not one of those things where i'm like oh my gosh they just put this together and put it on and i'm so glad they did because it's so great it just kind of sounds like you know John being John, which is a wonderful thing, and they just kind of tacked it on there. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a holy lamb, that's for sure. Yeah, that is for sure. It's not a nine voices either, I'd say. It is not a nine voices. You are correct. Good point. However, Joe, let me ask you this. How do you feel time is time versus we have heaven? Oh, no. <laughs> that's... Dirty. That is <laughs> dirty. I would take time as time. Thank you very much. Okay, <laughs> there you have it. Okay, we, yep. we have our boundaries. Well, and, you know, if you put time and time in, in the middle of the track listing, I might have a different answer. Okay. There might be a utilitarian purpose for time as time. I mean, it could, you know, fit somewhere in a... A children's story or a movie or some kind of commercial usage uh but, you know it's like they've uh, got it they want to use it and yeah and perhaps perhaps lyrically it, it it is a is a fine punctuation to the themes of uh 
the rest of the album. I wouldn't know because I just, you know. You skip it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, perfect. (laughs) So, you know, here's, here's the funny thing about this album. I actually own three different versions of it. Wow. Which is one an EP? No, one is not an EP. So I, I bought, and I don't remember exactly when I bought it, but I bought what I'll call sort of the standard version, which is what I've had for many, many years. And then something had happened, and I had lost my my copy of Talk. And I purchased one of these weird sort of combo products that has both magnification and talk packaged in the same CD case, which was kind of wow. weird. So I, I bought that because I wanted uh, uh, to get a copy of talk, but I wound up with a, a copy of magnification bonus on top of that. And then at some point, and I don't know how or when I did this one, I probably saw it at you know one of these... Um, used stores that I go to, either the one in Nashville or, or one of the half-price books down here. I must have come across this. I, I got a a a very cool purple jewel case um, bonus edition type copy of it that I just, I couldn't help myself from buying. And I was just looking at, there's one, two, three, four, five different varieties of limited edition magnifications and it looks like i have the 2002 hd cd limited edition (laughs) and uh so that has a bonus disc in there which has deeper from in the presence of live gates of delirium magnification and um, a cd rom track that includes a john anderson video interview the single video for Don't Go and a live Mm. video for Gates of Delirium. So I just want to throw that out there. Actually, live Gates of Delirium with the orchestra, it wasn't as great as seeing it, I think, you know, like the the version that's on uh, Yes Shows, for instance. Ah. Uh, With Igor Masterworks. Yeah, I haven't heard Igor doing it, but I imagine, you know, Given what I, I think I know about Igor, I bet he was spectacular. Um, there, there are certain aspects of, you know, the keyboard part that just isn't quite as punchy with the orchestra for whatever reason. It's interesting. Hmm. But I, I just I wanted to point out that it, I find it humorous that I have three different copies of this of this record. Well, you know, I've, it's interesting that for an album that you know was released at least in the United States pretty much when their tour was finished. Um, and that the record company went out of business right after they released it, that they actually reissued it five times, and that you actually have three of those reissues, Joe. So well done. Well, you know, I guess I'm just a special kind of guy. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, again, I think uh, everyone points to magnification as, you know, the, in a lot of ways, the the quote-unquote last Yes album or the last great Yes album because it's the last one with John singing it. Um, you know, is it is it perfect? No, I, I don't think it's perfect. Is it is it Yes music? Very clearly, I think it is. And you know, it, like I said, there's it's it's certainly a different beast 
you know, writing and, and recording and integrating the orchestra in there. But, you know, these are these are musicians who are up to the task of doing that. And I think they did a, a really, really good job. And, you know, it's it's upper middle of the pack for me. I really, really enjoy this. And there are times when when I do say, you know what, I want to hear magnification. A lot of times it's probably just for the uh, the title track and Can You Imagine? But, you know, whatever the case may be, it gets me there. And I enjoy it when I go there. I like it, Joe. Well done. And, and I, again, so glad to be a part of doing this because I don't know how long it would have been until I, you know, fished out magnification disc from the um, from the bottom of my my cd bin because despite the fact that they've released this and reissued it five times you can't get a good recording on spotify of this at all <laughs> so um but i don't know how long i would have waited to dig it out i'm so glad that um that i have because i'm gonna continue listening to it um, on and on here because it is a terrific album and I would agree with you. It's upper middle pack and um, rock and roll. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you for opening this to me. You know, obviously I wasn't uh, in the loop at the time and, and didn't see the shows, but um, absolutely loved getting into this and it, it pushed me into, uh, you know, the, the symphonic live recordings. You, you ha almost have to listen to them in tandem and I, I'm assuming that we will be covering that. I'm looking forward to it to to it to it greatly. Cool. All right. Well, I think that puts a pin in uh, in magnification. So I think uh, I think we've covered this really well, and look forward to moving on to the next album that we have coming up, which just freaking floats my boat. Man, is it fly from here next? It is fly from here next. Sweet. Oh God! Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to be forced to commit a little bit of blasphemy when we talk about that, but that'll be for next episode. finishes up this episode of progressive palaver as always we look forward to your thoughts your questions your comments you can reach us on the major forms of social media being instagram facebook and twitter we are at prog Pala at all of those or you can search for progressive palaver feel free to email us uh, feel free to email us our email address is progpala at gmail.com and progressive palaver is as always available for download and subscription on both iTunes and Google Play, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.